I'll bet you sometime you heard the story that said something, or this line that went something like this. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. I heard that when I was in college, and of course I gave my life to Christ when I was in college, but I always struggled with that at the beginning. I was wondering, what is this wonderful plan? I don't know what this wonderful plan actually is. And I thought, well, maybe it's just going to heaven, and if that's it, that's a pretty wonderful plan. I'm not going to say it's not a wonderful plan, but, but I thought, is that what we're waiting for? And then I realized that I had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I realized that I could speak with him. He could speak with me. And I realized that he had promises for me. He had some things that, that were guaranteed that he was going to give me. Now, last week I told you about why you may not have heard from God. I gave you seven reasons. And if you need that, I'm not going to re-preach it this morning. Uh, you just go back and get the podcast or, or get the uh, Uh, get the video or whatever you need to do there. But I'm not going to go there. But when we get a promise from God, our expectation is as soon as we get the promise, we're going to get that which God has promised to us. We're going to get it right away. And what normally happens, I'm just going to say what normally happens. Normally what happens is it appears that with the circumstances that they're not going to happen at all. They're just not going to happen, period. And so when I looked in the Bible, I said, that is normal. That is normal. I mean, let's look at a few stories in the Bible. Let's look at the testimony of Moses. God spoke spoke to Moses. He told him what Pharaoh's going to do, and especially what Pharaoh's going to do even when they leave. He said he will harden uh, Pharaoh's heart. If you heard my message on that, I can show you how Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. But God did the things that allowed Pharaoh or made Pharaoh, if you want to say that, to harden his own heart. That is the case there. But he said that when he's going to harden his heart and they're going to pursue you. The people either didn't know this or it was their fear that overtakes them. And I say this to you folks, when circumstances look like we're not going to get what we say God has promised us, it's often fear that overtakes us. So they look in the, on the horizon They see the dust of Pharaoh's army. And they say this in Exodus 14, 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Now, what has just happened to them in the the previous days before? Didn't they have ten plagues that came against Pharaoh and his people? Didn't they have God's, the proof that God was in the business of letting them go? And suddenly what happened to them? They have this impending doom is what it looks like. They see Pharaoh's army coming at them. And what do they say? We're done for now. We're never going to receive what God has promised to us. Now that's our story, isn't it? How many times has God come through for you? And the next time you know that God is going to come through for you and the circumstances don't look like God is going to come through for you and you say, oh God, what have you done to us? Now, what was the problem? They had a crisis of faith and you will have a crisis of faith too. They knew what God's promises was. In fact, they received the promise of God before all of this happened. 
Now, receiving the promise of God is simply this. God gives you his word to you and you receive it. That means you believe it. You take it in. You do not create faith out of nothing. You do not create it out of yourself. You create it out of God's word. God's word comes to you and you receive that. And that's what has happened. The promise of God came to them. They received it and it was, they took it as by faith. Now, Aaron told them what God would do when they were going to lead them out of Egypt in the first place. What happens when Aaron comes in and tells the story? In Exodus 4, 31, this is 10 chapters before this other chapter. It says, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Here's what happens. They said, oh, good. God has given us what he has promised. He's he's given us a promise, rather, for what he's going to do for us. I shouldn't say it that way. He's given us a promise. And what do people think when that happens? It's going to happen right now. It's going to happen right now. There are going to be no bumps in the road. There's going to be anything that happens to it. But here's what we have to learn just like they had to learn. If God has made a promise to you, it doesn't matter what happens before you receive it. It does not matter what happens before you receive it. God has made a promise to you. Was that the last time God would give them a crisis of faith? No. It happened again and again. How about you? Has God ever given you a crisis of faith? And was that the last one? No, it's not. Let's look at somebody else. Joseph in the Old Testament had a promise from God that his brothers and his fathers would bow down to him someday. You know that story? And so he received this promise from God. Then he told his brothers about it. How do you think that went? You got 11 older brothers. Okay, let's look at this story here. Genesis 37, 9. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. How do you think they received that? They said, Oh, brother, little brother, we have been dying to bow down to you someday. That's why we treat you like the dirt on the bottom of our shoes. That's what they've done with him. So understand, like every other older brother, our list of of, 11 other older brothers. So what does he do? Okay, he's not content. I tell you what I'll do. I'll tell dad the story. Dad will support me, right? That'll work. So in the next verse, Genesis 37, 10. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Isn't this amazing? Isn't this his own family? Shouldn't his own family support him and God giving him this vision that he has, a promise that he has from God? Wouldn't that be nice? Here's what I have learned over years of pastoring. I know that 70% of pastors are depressed and wish they could find another job right now. If they could do anything else, they would do it. 70%. And the reason is, is that they believed that they would do the work of God through the power of God by the word of God. 
You understand those three things? It's the work of God through the power of God. God would give them the power, and then they would, it would be by the word of God. This is what they believed was going to happen. And they thought that if they were doing the work of God through the power of God by the word of God, that they would get the support of their own church. But they would be opposed, maybe by Planned Parenthood, maybe by liberal media, maybe by scientists that are not too smart, or atheists that are people like that. You know, what I'm trying to say to you is, they thought that they would be opposed by those people. They had no idea that they would be opposed by the people in their own congregations. They had no idea that was going to happen to them. And so they got caught off guard. Why should they have gotten caught off guard? Now, I'm in a very, if you're a visitor today, I'm in a wonderful church. And I can say this very clearly because I don't have any complaints whatsoever. But what I'm trying to say is, is that why should they have been caught off guard? They should have looked at Joseph. His own family was opposing him in this. And said, and you know, don't be surprised if your crisis of faith comes from inside your own family or close friends. Understand, that's, that can happen there. But look at what happened. His brothers so opposed him that they sold him into slavery. What did that do for him? It got him to Egypt. And God took him through another crisis of faith that had nothing to do with his brothers and got him thrown into prison. What did that do for him? That got him in touch with the butler of the Pharaoh. And what did that do for him? So that he, would, he was in there with the uh, butler of the Pharaoh. He had a dream and, Moses, I mean, and Joseph interpreted it for him. And that got to Pharaoh. And he got to be second in command. But here's the story, folks. You could look this up. Joseph was 17 years of age when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 years of age when he became second in command. And he's 40 to 41 years of age before his brothers and his father will bow down to him. That's 23 to 24 years that he had to wait before he would see the promise fulfilled. Not right away, was it? That's a crisis of faith in itself. How about this one? David was promised to become the king of Israel. What happened was Samuel is sent by God to go to the house of Jesse, pick out one of his boys so that he can be the next king because Saul has been rejected. And what do they do? They bring in all of the brothers that they thought were worthy of being king. But when Samuel saw that it wasn't any of them, he said, are there any others that are out there? And they said, we got one, but he's out. He's watching the sheep. You know, it couldn't be him, could it? And so what happens is, is that he sees him. And God says, this is the one. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. David had been minding his own business watching the sheep. You understand? He wasn't, you know, you know he went down on his knees. Oh, God, let me become king of Israel. That was not going on. He minding his own business watching the sheep. They bring him in. I mean, he probably smells like sheep. 
You understand what I'm saying? And if you've been around sheep, they stink really bad. Just telling you the way it really is. And God says, this is the one. You know, God often chooses those who must depend upon his strength. And possibly in your life, you're saying, I couldn't get this promise from God because I'm just not smart enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not whatever it is. I'm not popular enough or whatever it might be that you think that the person has to be to receive the promise that God has for you. But the promise will come to you regardless because you have to depend upon God's strength and he chooses you for that. So David's life is soon found in the palace. He's playing music for Saul. He's playing his instrument for Saul. Then he fights Goliath and he wins. Then he defeats the Philistine army. And they even write songs about him, about how he has defeated the tens of thousands. And then the king doesn't want him anywhere near the throne. And if you read that whole story, eventually David is living like a homeless man out there in the desert. Do you understand? In the wilderness, he's living like that. You know, at that point, you have to realize that would be like we go out here and we see a homeless guy. And the homeless guy said, I've got a promise that I'm going to be president of the United States. We would laugh and laugh and laugh. Because we would never dream that God could have put that person into the position that he needs to be in. But that's what David's story was. Do you think it was a crisis of faith? And didn't David do what was right anyway? Did he do anything wrong to cause this to happen to him? You see, your crisis of faith may come because you did what is right. You did exactly what was right. And that might be your complaint to God. It was my complaint to God. When I was waiting to become a pastor and all those years that I waited, I kept saying, God, didn't I get the education that I needed? I mean, I said, God, you know, I realize I'm learning to preach, but but I think I could preach as good as they are if you just give me an opportunity. And God, you know I look better than them. Y'all laughed. (laughs) You're right to laugh. (laughs) But, you know, that's our our. Our complaint sometimes. I did what you wanted to, what you wanted me to, God. So why would God let you go through a crisis of faith? I will tell you why. God is not content with who you are. He is not content with who you are. Now, I didn't say that God doesn't love you just as you are. God loves you just as you are. You understand that? But God loves you so much that he wants you to be changed, to be different, to be greater than what you are. Now, we come to him just as we are. Don't think that you're supposed to clean up and then go to God because that doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. We come to God and he changes us. He cleans us up. James understood this. James uh, chapter 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Remember that word steadfastness. We're going to come back to it. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We are to be joyful in our trials because there will be a change that causes us to be prepared for the promise that God has for us. 
The promise that God has for us. And that word translated steadfastness means patient, continuance, or waiting. Patience is what we continue to do faithfully when we've been received the promise of God, but we have not yet received the promise, which we can see with our eyes. And developing this faith has the purpose of making you perfect and complete. If we were cakes, and I'm not saying we're cakes, okay? If we were cakes, God would get all the ingredients that would be necessary to make us ready for this promise. He would put it in a bowl, he would stir it around, and then he would just leave it there, right? No. How do you make a cake? You stir it around, you put it, and then what do you do with it? You put it in a pan and put it in what? An oven. And do you put it in an oven for any amount of time? Just, I'll just pick a time. Let's put this one in for three hours. Let's see what happens. Will you make cakes or will you make bricks? You understand what I'm saying? And do you put it in for any temperature you want to pick? I think I'll try 450 this time. Let's see what happens with this cake. Let's see if we can cook it that way. But what we have is, is that we have just the right time and just the right ingredients and just the right temperature. You hear what I'm saying? But you're going to be put in the oven. And I know what it's like if you don't, if you, leave, or you don't put the timer on it. I was making some brownies. And I was making these brownies and I, I forgot I was making brownies. Can you believe that? And I decided to take a dog for a walk. And I get halfway around the loop that goes around in our neighborhood. And suddenly it dawns on me, I've got brownies in the oven. Actually, I had brick brownies in the oven, but I didn't know that at the time. And so I'm taking off and I'm running across the golf courses. I'm cutting through the golf. People were trying to play. I was going, brownies in the oven, brownies in the oven. You know, and I just kept running. They didn't, they didn't know who, what was crazy guys out there on the, on the golf course. You know, because what happens if you leave them in too long? You make bricks. This is what happens. You make bricks. God knows exactly how long to leave you in the oven. He knows exactly what temperature that you can take to. For it says, God will not allow a trial for you that you can't handle. You realize that? There's not a trial out there that you can't handle. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, this word for temptation means to be put under a, a weight or a trial, as you're going to call it, and be tempted to lose your faith, to, to be tempted to abandon your, your promise that God has given to you. It is to abandon this promise. And God will not remove this temptation. He will not remove this trial that that is going to make you think, you know what, I I need to do something else. I I mean, to not believe in that promise anymore. I don't not believe in what God has for me anymore. And he said, but God will not remove it from you. But he will give you a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. It doesn't take you out from under it. He lets you stand up under it. And so he gives you that means of standing up under it. And the failure to stand is not because God gave you too much, but because you didn't receive his way of escape. You didn't stay there and stand there. 
For what is our normal thing to do when we come under a real bad temptation like this? Here's what happens. Abraham. Abraham didn't have a child. So what happened? Sarah said, why don't you take Hagar? You can have a child with her. She makes great slacks. You don't laugh either. Okay, anyway. So, you know what I'm saying? Why don't you take Hagar? Why don't you take Hagar? I mean, that makes sense. That way you can have the child of the promise. That way you can, because you know it's impossible for us to have a child. You know that, Abraham. That, believing that promise makes no sense. For the temptation is always to take things into your own hands. It is always there. Not to wait upon God, but to say, I'm going to take things into my own hands. Many years ago, in Texas, I have to say this, Baptists prayed for revival and there was no revival. So they did a study on revivals in terms of awakenings in which they spread across big areas and such. And they realized that when revivals broke out, the Spirit of God broke out in several places at the same time. So Baptists decided that if we can get all the churches to have revival meetings on the same weekend, then revival will break out. It didn't work. Baptists realized that fully devoted fully committed followers of Christ were busy. So Baptists decided, they're busy doing God's work is what I'm trying to say. But so they decided if we can just get them busy, they'll become fully devoted or fully committed followers of Christ. It still doesn't work. Do you understand what I'm saying to you here? For busyness is a comfort because it allows you to remain who you are because you're too busy to know who you aren't. It's a, it's a comfort. And what happened when the seventh chapter of Matthew, seventh chapter of Matthew, Jesus is telling the story of some people that think they're going to heaven when they're not going to heaven. And what did they say in order to say they'll get into heaven? We were busy. We were really busy. We were really busy, busy, busy. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Because it's not about the busyness. And when you are so busy, you will be worn out when you try to do what only God can do. That promise is not going to come because you worked it out, but because God gave it to you. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 30, it says... Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk. They shall walk and not faint. For waiting on the Lord results in a renewed strength. Wait on, on the Lord is with an expectation that He will do as He has said. We don't wait on the Lord to do as we expect Him to do. We wait on the Lord for what we expect Him to do because He has told us that He's going to do it. See, when this was written, God's people were in Babylon, this Isaiah verse. And they were waiting for the promised deliverance. They weren't sitting around fretting and and worrying and and, and trying to just being worn out for that sort of thing. Because these things will make you have poor decisions. 
Saul wouldn't wait for Samuel to show up to do the burnt offering. So he offered it himself. He did something that only he should have let God do through Samuel, not through himself. And he did it himself. Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean that there is no activity, though. You see, it is being faithful in what he has said to do. In fact, it's putting you in the right place at the right time to receive what God has for you. In the NFL, there are a lot of great wide receivers. They run out to catch the ball. And they have to run their routes very precisely. Because it doesn't matter how fast they are or how well they can catch the ball. If they're not in a place where the quarterback throws it, they're not going to catch the ball. That's the facts. That's the way it is. And so, therefore, you've got to put yourself in the place where the Lord wants you to be. And to do that, you just follow what the Lord has already told you to do. Or else you'll be running around for no reason. It says they'll renew their strength. It means their strength will flourish again. It will come back from that which has decayed. It will be brought back to them. You know, I think that people think that a very positive person is a positive person. and Because they're positive people, they have uh, a lot of energy. But I've seen people that are depressed and they have no energy at all. I would say to you is this, is that those who wait upon the Lord have a positive expectation that the Lord is going to do something. Corey Ten Boom said, somebody said to me, when I worry, I go to the mirror and say to myself, this tremendous thing which is worrying me is beyond a solution. It is especially too hard for Jesus Christ to handle. After I've said that, I smile and I'm ashamed. Maybe you ought to say that sometimes. You got a problem? I want you to go to the mirror. I want you to go to the mirror and I want you to say, this problem that I've got right now is too hard for you, God. It's too hard for Jesus Christ right now. I want you to hear what that sounds like when you say it to yourself like that. It sounds silly, doesn't it? See, that's it. We are working so much than when we should be waiting. Vance Havner told the story of a grandma. This grandma was, (laughs) she was very ill. And so the family was out, you know, with the doctor and getting the prognosis and all that kind of stuff. And so they come into the room and they've got that, you know, that downcast look on their face. And the grandma says, it's bad. And they go, "Uh uh-huh. And she says, well, what did the doctor say? And they said, well, the doctor said it's, it's in God's hands now. And grandma says, has it come to that? Folks, it starts with that. Do you understand? You didn't suddenly get in God's hands. You didn't have bad things happen to you. Now you're in God's hands, but you weren't in God's hands before. You start with that. That's where you are. So just understand you stay in God's hands. Then it says to mount up with wings like eagles. They they put forth fresh feathers and they fly like they're young all over again. They will run and not be weary. You know, that's what happens to us when we wait. We have energy. But if we get impatient, if we get impatient, then we worry, we fret, we take things under our own Uh, into our own hands. And what happens? We wear ourselves out. Please make note of this. God has often missed great opportunities to show up early, but he has never shown up late. He will always take you out of the oven at the right moment. That's absolutely the truth. So if you're worrying or Or are you taking matters into your own hands? 
But, or maybe you'd say, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to wait because I believe that God has got something greater than I could have even imagined, even in the promise that he has given me. I believe he'll do it. And you're going to say, today, I put it in God's hands.